if you're visiting with us, this is week 16 in a series we've been involved in called the Go Spool, going global and staying local with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts 17 verse 6, it says that they are turning the world upside down. Isn't that a great expression for us today to think about our own lives? Are we living a life that turns the world, I would say, the right way up? We're into a series from the book of Acts. We're into chapter 8 today. Let me begin with a conversational question for you to consider. What do you think of artificial intelligence? As some uh, wives look at their husbands, they think it's better than no intelligence at all. Artificial intelligence. It's a big part of our world today, isn't it? If you use things like uh, Siri or uh, a GPS or Amazon Echo or anything to do with Google, every time you go online and Google something or use Google Assist, you are using some form of artificial intelligence. Mobile phones, televisions, computers, they all consist of artificial intelligence. You cannot buy a new car today that doesn't have some form of artificial intelligence. And yet, whilst it's a massive part of our lives, a lot of people are concerned that AI is taking over. And there is no personal one-on-one interaction between people today. But as a Christian, I was thinking this week, if there is one thing that would help assist in our Christian life, one thing that you would like help from, from artificial intelligence, what do you think it would be? I uh, came across uh, an article uh, uh, this week, a a podcast. It was entitled Evangelism Chatbots. It features an Australian guy who has actually programmed artificial intelligence to do evangelism. I'm going to read the article to you. It's up here on the screen. Some people think the next great evangelist will reach more people than Billy Graham ever did. And they're already programming the artificial intelligence to do it. When Chris and Adam met an Australian who'd already programmed uh, an AI chatbot to do evangelism, they look at each other and wonder, can a chatbot really spread the gospel? Only to realise that evangelism chatbots are not quite as unprecedented as they first appeared to be. Still, this new generation of tech-driven evangelism forces today's Christians to go back again and ask, what exactly is the gospel? The future is here. This chatbot has already led hundreds to make decisions for Jesus. Can we really argue with results? This episode will help you get your head around our new Jetsons-like reality and see what Rosie could mean for Christians called to make disciples. Now, I I know as Christians, we've always capitalised on technology. 
you know, we can go all the way back to the, the development of the Roman road. We can uh, go to the development of the printing press, radio, television, internet. And even today, we, we it, it, uh, capture social media in order to drive the gospel forward. But I'd never heard of robotic evangelism before, have you? I think it's fantastic. I think it's actually the answer to all of our prayers. You think about it. How much time in your life have you actually spent doing personal evangelism? It is the last thing that people in church want to do. If ever we want to get you to pray, we say, hey, listen, uh, what do you want to do? You want to pray or do you want to do evangelism? (gasps) We'll go into our holy little huddle and pray. We don't want to go out there. That's a big scary place. And yet here we are. Most Christians, I think, love the idea of being able to outsource. But the reality is that while technology is used in a variety of different ways to help evangelism, God still requires the personal touch. God still requires each one to reach one with the gospel. We've got to have a living witness. People actually need to see that this thing makes a difference in your life before they will allow it to make a difference in theirs. So today, as we continue on, we're looking at Philip, who is going to preach a message. And I've entitled this message, Evangelizing an Ethiopian, Each One Reach One. And we're going to look at Acts 8.25 to 40 today. We're going to learn today that God leads us to go from one location to another location to lead people that the Lord has prepared for the planting of the gospel. So let's begin our journey today in verse 25. It says, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. And so this is exactly what disciples of Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit, are called to do in our daily lives. That's verse 25. As we get all the way to the end of our text today in verse 40, we see that Philip's doing exactly the same thing. It says, Philip travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And so these are like bookends, yeah? These are just disciples going about their ordinary day and then suddenly something extraordinary happens from verse 26. So today we're going to learn for each one to reach one in this idea of personal evangelism. The very first thing we need to do is all about our positioning. It's about where God positions us. So have a look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, boom, there's the supernatural happening right there, isn't it? Yeah, this is extraordinary. I mean, have you ever seen an angel? I've only seen one, so I married her. And do you know how I know she's an angel? Because like this one, she's always given me orders. This angel says, 
Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So straight away, understand the angel can't do the evangelism. It can only direct God's people to go, to go, to preach, to proclaim. Go is a word that means to to get up and leave where you are, to move in a direction going forward. It's actually used 1,542 times in the gospel. And so when the Holy Spirit leads, we are to go. If we uh, have a a look at the map, we can uh, see here on the map uh, uh, Samaria up there in the north. Philip's come all the way down to Jerusalem, and now he's going to go all the way down to Gaza. And of course, Gaza's the last stop of what we might call the desert region leading to Egypt. And then Ethiopia was always considered the end of the world. And of course, we see here that in Gaza was one of Israel's greatest enemies, the Philistines. And so he's called to go to a very hostile sort of area then. And so what we see here straight away is that God's grace is for every single race. No one is to miss out. And we've seen in this series so far, the witnessing of the gospel, it goes through the proclamation of people through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now to the ends of the earth. If we have a look at the terrain here, you know, in a straight line from Jerusalem to Gaza, it was 80 kilometers. But here we see what a rough terrain that Philip is being called to go to. Yet despite the poor prospects of any converts in that country, Philip took flight. He's leaving behind the, the blessings and he's going to this barren place. He's, he's, he's in a place at the moment where there is revival. People are coming to Christ all of the time. And now suddenly he's going to this remote place. It's a challenge, isn't it? You know, we can so often be very comfortable right here in our Christianity. But while in Acts we see crowds of people being converted, now we actually see the lengths that God will go just to save one person. How often have we uh, always talked about that, yeah? If you were the only person on the planet, Jesus would still have come from the realm of glory down to this remote rock to save you. That's the message of the gospel. And yet the challenge is always how far out of our way are we willing to go for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Philip, he was willing to leave this public meeting. He was under the providence of God, wasn't he? Yeah? And he went from this public setting to this very private setting where suddenly there was this interaction and into this Ethiopian there was brought peace. The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ which passes all understanding. Let me ask you to consider for a moment the positioning of your own life. Think about the coordinates of your life. If you were to think about the longitude and latitude of where you are right now, where God has called you to go, would you say you are exactly where God wants you to be in his will? Maybe right now you haven't had an angelic experience of that. Maybe right now you might be struggling with God's guidance. Let me just say to you, 
that God will lead and guide you if you are willing to go. Don't be in despair. One of the things I like about the desert place is that it's a desolate place. It's a dry place. And sometimes we can feel that we're a little bit dry in our own Christian lives. Yeah? You know, sometimes as a pastor, I feel very dry. I, I wonder, you know, am I really doing everything that God wants me to do? Am I, am I really going? Am I really positioned exactly where he wants me to be? I'm looking for God's direction. I'm looking for the Spirit to move. That's not an uncommon thing for us in our, in our own nature. You know, it's only when you stop asking that question that you become comfortable in your own Christianity. So God was taking him to a place. He was asking him to leave behind something that was pretty fruitful in order to go to a very barren place, somewhere that might not bear much fruit at all. And you know, sometimes I, I'm always challenged to ask myself, what am I afraid of? What's holding me back? Why don't I want to take that step into what God has for me? You know, in uh, geometry, they say the shortest distance uh, between two points is a straight line. Uh, but if you're following the same God that I do, then God lives outside of distance and time and space, doesn't he? And one of the things I've actually discovered is that sometimes when God takes me on a journey, it'll sometimes take me a lot longer to get there than I thought it would. And sometimes I find myself in really difficult and rough terrain, hard situations to go through. But we've got to make sure that we realise that God never leaves you alone. He doesn't call you into the desert in order to leave you, but to guide and direct you. So if you're feeling in that, that place right now, a little bit dry, a little bit dusty, not quite too sure, remember if God has a purpose for you, he will direct you where he wants you to go. So Philip, unquestioned obedience, verse 27. So he started out. If God says go, you go. And when you head out those doors this morning, God has somewhere for you to go. God is already out there preparing people in order for you to bring the message of the Messiah into their lives. St. Francis of Assisi, he was a uh, 13th century monk. And he felt called by the Lord to go down to the local village and proclaim the gospel. He took a young apprentice monk with him. They just started out on the journey early in the morning and they came across this man uh, who had been beaten and mugged. And so they offered him medical assistance. They did everything they could for this man and it took up a lot of their time. As they went a little bit further, they came across another man who was homeless in need of a meal. And so they gave him the food that they had prepared for the day for themselves. And as they continued to go on this journey down into the village, they kept coming against people and people and people all the time who needed their help. Finally, it was getting dark and St. Francis said to the young apprentice, we need to head back for evening prayers. And the young apprentice said, but, but Francis, we haven't preached the gospel yet. And Francis just smiled and said, my friend, that's what we've been doing all day. Church going. Going is about as you go, live out the gospel. And one of the things I've learned in my life is that it's when you let the Lord lead that you're most effective in evangelism. Evangelism means you are willing to be inconvenienced. You are willing to go out of your way. You are willing to pay what it costs. 
we've got to understand that that go. Go means go out of your way so often in life. And yet Mark Twain tells a story that I think really equates to a lot of Christians in the church today. Mark Twain, he, he loved to fish, but he didn't like to catch fish. You see, he loved to sit on the bank and just relax. Whenever you're catching fish, everybody comes up to you and says, how you going? How big was the fish? You know, and it annoys you, doesn't it? So what he used to do is he used to get his pole and his float and he would throw it in. No hook, no bait, no intent. And I think that's the way a lot of Christians are living out their salvation today. I'm saved, I'm okay, I've got no intent of going out there and fishing for anybody else. In his book, Multiply, Francis Chan wrote this. The call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is open to everyone. But we don't get to write our own job description. If Jesus is Lord, then he sets the agenda. Let me tell you about a new missionary to Calcutta in India. And uh, he was being shown around the slums and the people that he would be ministering to by this older missionary. Well, the young missionary, seeing the plight and the poverty and the, uh, just the disease was just, just... He began to sob. And the old missionary said to him, There, there, don't worry. You'll soon get used to it. And the young missionary said, Yes, I know. That's why I'm crying. How desensitized have we become to the plight of people around us that we've become so self-absorbed in our own selves? But in verse 27, it says, And on his way. You've got to be on God's way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake. The Kandake is a little bit like the Pharaoh or the, or the Caesar, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So this guy's not from around here, okay? This guy's from a long, long way away. Ethiopia was literally the ends of the earth. Being a eunuch, he would have been castrated. These guys tended to have quite positions of power uh, within political structures. He was a treasury secretary to the queen. The monarchy of Ethiopia uh, dates back to the queen of Sheba and also all the way back to King Solomon. Have a look at uh, this map. So we can see the first map there, but uh, th I googled this. A little bit of AI right there, Phil. Jerusalem to Ethiopia by car, 4,100 kilometres, 86 hours. By chariot and horse, five months. This guy had been away five months travelling up to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's heading back. And we discover on the trip home, verse 28, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. So that means this guy was a, a man of means. You know, you didn't just go down to the, uh, the local store and, and pick up a, a, a handwritten copy of Isaiah. This would have been very expensive. But if Philip didn't go and start out, he would have never have met this man at that particular point, that intersection of his life, when he is spiritually searching for his saviour. You know, I sometimes wonder how many times I haven't 
taken the first step? How many times I haven't followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit? How many times I haven't picked up that phone or gone to that meeting or visited that person or done a variety of other things that I could have done but I refused to maybe acknowledge my neighbour or give that person a smile. You know, uh, my daughter's just uh, moved into a new home and uh, I'm quite often up there doing the handyman thing, organising the trades and uh, I'm getting to know the neighbours, you know, and uh, I... uh, Speaking to uh, Graham, the next door neighbour, we needed to uh, extend the fencing and uh, Graham uh, says to me, he says, uh, are you, you retired? Said, said uh, no. Now just in case, alright, just in case, I am 56. I'll be 57 in a couple of months. 5th of October. Cash will do. So I, I said to him, I said, uh, no, how, how old do you think I am? And he said to me, he said, oh, about the same age as me. I said to him, well, how old are you? He said, 66. <laughs> well, when he regained consciousness, I was able to have the gospel conversation with him. I was able to plant the seed. Listen to me. God will position you exactly where he wants you to be if you will obey his promptings. If the Holy Spirit gives you a nudge, don't be frightened to take that first step. God loves to position people so that he can use people to speak into the hearts that he has prepared. Remember way, way back at the beginning of our series, Acts 1 verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It starts local, doesn't it? Yeah? It starts in your schools, in your workplaces, in your society, in the community at large. And then we go uh, to our state and interstate and international so that people can have their minds open to the Scriptures. So firstly, today. For each one to reach one, it requires position. Next, it requires proximity. Proximity. Verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So verse 26, it's the angel given the orders. And now here, God gives the divine directions that their lives would intersect at precisely the right time for salvation. I want you to understand when it says there, go, it actually means glue yourself. It actually means get over there and glue yourself. Be so close to that person, you do not let them go. Glue yourself. Where two actually become one in closeness. But uh, sometimes we hesitate, don't we? You know, if you think about Philip and you think about this Ethiopian, it's pretty often we feel a little bit awkward about going to people we don't even know. And this guy, he's of a different race. Actually, it's said that the Ethiopian uh, would have been a black man and he would have been the first black man converted to faith in Jesus Christ. Eunuchs, eunuchs were social outcasts. How often in our community do you not want to be associated with other people? 
and you feel intimidated. He was wealthy. He had great authority. I don't know about you, but people in authority intimidate me. Do they intimidate you as you try to share your faith? But verse 30, then Philip ran. He ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So he ran. Folks, uh, God does not expect you to obey him slowly. Obedience is immediate or it's not obedience at all. You see, when God has prepared people and positioned us in proximity towards uh, non-Christian people, he expects us to run to it. But here's the key. If you are going to go and unwrap the gospel to someone, you cannot be too wrapped up in yourself. It always requires us to completely forget about ourselves in the situation and to give ourselves to others. People who are wrapped up in themselves will not win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie, he writes this. You can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in people than you can in two years by trying to get another person interested in you. You know, I think in society today, that's sort of saturated with self. Every decision we make, isn't it? What's in it for me? What do I get out of this? Why should I do this? Overcoming self, I think, is probably the hardest thing to do. You know what I always remember? I always remember that I have been made a sinner into a saint and I am saved to serve my saviour. Not myself. I think we've forgotten that a lot in the church. But Philip's obedience, it was immediately enthusiastic. You see, evangelism, if you don't know it, evangelism is, is what spills over when you bump into people that God brings across your path. Proclaiming requires proximity. Ask yourself, where are your closest relationships? Where are you witnessing in the world? I think we can all feel a little bit uncomfortable, intimidated, fearful. But I think probably more than ever in the world today, I think, frankly, we don't really care that much about the plight of other people. I really do think we would love artificial intelligence to do our evangelism. But because Philip was close in proximity, he could hear the Ethiopian reading uh, the scriptures. Back then it was customary for people to read out loud for comprehension. Remember, this guy's from Ethiopia. He's not from around here. If he had a copy of Isaiah, it, it would either be in Hebrew or it would be the Septuagint in the Greek. And that's not his first language. They'd read it out loud for comprehension because the early manuscripts, much like my manuscripts here, if you've ever read any of my notes, it's like trying to decipher hieroglyphics. There's no punctuations, full stops, capital letters. It all just flows together. And so they would read it aloud to try and get a, a feel for what's going on. And so you have to be near in order to hear the signals that people send out. No, you're not going to hear somebody reading the Bible aloud on the bus tomorrow morning. But tomorrow morning, you might just be near enough to hear somebody start to say something about their marriage. Or you might be just near enough uh, in your school to find someone who's just a little bit sad and the opportunities opened up. Or there might be an opportunity there to talk about some personal problems. Or you've got no idea, you know, when you're open to it, the amount of people who want to know 
about life after death. I was doing a funeral uh, back in January. We just lowered the coffin. I'd said amen, and this woman made a beeline to me. Her daughter had died three or four months earlier. She was 32 years of age, and this woman wanted to know where her daughter was. And so there's an opportunity for us to be near, to be able to answer these questions. So there's a constant progression here. We've got to position ourselves. We've got to be in proximity, leading us then to proclamation. Philip heard the man a reading from Isaiah. He takes the initiative. He asks him this question in verse 30. Do you understand what you are reading? And of course, the inference there is no. And that's the Jesus model. Did you know that Jesus always positioned himself in proximity to people? And all through the Gospels, he asked people over 300 questions. You see, the right question injected into a conversation, it arouses deeper discussion, doesn't it? Yeah? It helps also, too, with the right questions to bring about any errors in people's thinking that they might have. Or maybe even just in that discussion. You know, you've got no idea the amount of people who are hurting, who want to, to know that it's going to be okay. And right in there you can say, can I pray for you? Rebecca Pippert from uh, her book, Out, the, Out of the Salt Shaker, she says this, good evangelism is 60% asking questions. I love this. 30% building intrigue. I'm intrigued. And 10% sharing the gospel. Verse 31. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip, wow, to come up and sit with him. Here's Philip going, oh, this guy's a powerful man. He's an outcast. I don't know. I'm invited into that space. I love it. Suddenly he's an invited guest rather than an unwelcome intruder. I've got to tell you, I feel more like an unwelcomed intruder in people's lives than a welcomed guest. People find out I'm a pastor. That's the end of that. And so it's the very last thing I do. I'm always looking to create a conversation with people to get that conversation started first. Do you have some good go-to questions when things arise? There's a lot of atheists out there. There's a lot of atheists who are really concerned. You know, and when one says to you, why is there so much evil going on in the world? You can say, yeah, yeah. I'm equally as concerned about that, but what do you think as an atheist? What about uh, when someone at school says, all religions are the same? Do you have a go-to question that says, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Questions that can open up conversations. You know, uh, a big one is uh, people quite often say, oh, you Christians say that everybody else is going to hell. Do you believe in hell? Those questions that open things up for people to start conversations. Yes, we've got to share the scriptures, but we've got to build that bridge to get in there first. Here's how not to do it. Sorry, I'm late. Oh, it's okay. I'm glad you're here. Mmm, that coffee is hot. Isn't that the worst? Oh, I just burnt my tongue. You know what? You think that's hot? 
You gotta try that burn like 10 billion times worse all over your entire body as you fall into the pits of hell because you haven't surrendered your life over to the will of Jesus Christ. Huh? That's a burn you won't get over. <laughs> I saved you a cookie. So that's how not to do it, okay? But you would be surprised how many people do it like that. I think I've shared with you before, but some of you are visiting. When we were in Port Ferry, the amount of people in our church that ran around telling everybody they were going to hell was unbelievable. I had to, I had to have, have a meeting and tell them, stop doing that. <laughs> Just stop doing that. It might be true, but stop doing that. Church Christ really wants us to learn conversational principles. He wants us to expose our faith to people, not impose it. We need to use plain language that people can understand. We need to learn to have good lead-in questions. Going to arouse curiosity. Going to start a conversation. Going to be able to direct it towards Jesus Christ. You know, you've got no idea how when you connect the dots in good conversations that it actually leads people to acknowledge, yes, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They might not come to faith in that, but we can build that bridge. So at exactly the right time, Philip comes over. The Ethiopian is reading uh, the, probably the best uh, passage in the Old Testament of the sacrificial, uh, substitutional sacrifice of Jesus, Isaiah 53. In the first two verses of Isaiah 53, it talks about the birth of Jesus. In verse 3, it talks about his life and ministry. In verses 4 through to 9, it talks about his sacrificial death. And in verses 10 through to 12, it talks about his victorious resurrection. And so right in the middle there, verses 7 and 8. Like a sheep, he, that's Jesus, was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And of course, he just finished reading verses 5 and 6, didn't he? We know it. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so then it now leads Philip ready for the next question in verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Verse 35, I love verse 35. Then... Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. Have I told you the one about uh, these uh, two Christian friends? These two guys were very, very close. And uh, one of the... uh, uh, Christian friends, he was worried about the economy and everything that was going on. And and he said to his Christian mate, he said, "Uh, if you had two houses, would you give me one? I said, yes, brother, of course. As long as we're Christian brothers, you will never go homeless. He said, then if you had two cars, would you give me one? Absolutely, brother, you would never walk. He said, if you had two TVs, would you give me one? He said, no. He said, why not? He said, well, because I've got two TVs. Freely you have received, freely... Give. 
Folks, evangelism is actually being willing to share any and everything you have got. And notice Philip, he knew his Bible well enough he could start with this particular scripture and he could move towards the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what we've got to do. So often I see people uh, uh, trying to give people answers to questions they're not asking. So often I see them moving in a space where people are going, what? And you're talking all this religious jargon that nobody understands. You're trying to give them Bible passages with authority that they don't believe in. Just start where they are. Just start where they are. My life's a mess. I need food on the table. The kids have got holes in their pants. Start where they are and work your way to the cross of Jesus Christ. I love what uh, Charles Spurgeon used to say. I take my text and I make a beeline to the cross. I wonder if uh, Philip would have maybe uh, said, hey, turn over a couple of pages there and move to Isaiah 56, 3 to 5 and read these words to him. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. <gasps> and with that affirmation, he believes. And in verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So as soon as he gets saved, this guy gets soaked. Verse 36. Uh, sorry, verse 38. He commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. I've said it before in this series. I'm going to say it a few more times. In the Bible, there is no category of unbaptized believers. That's the biggest oxymoron. You believe and are baptized. It's called uh, baptiz believer's baptism. Baptism, uh, it's uh, a part of that salvation. Once I'm saved, my first step is to be baptized. Psychologists say impression without expression leads to depression. You know, when something makes an impression upon you, there has to be some avenue that you can express it, doesn't there? You know, if you feel uh, sad, you can have tears. If you feel happy, you can have laughter. If you find faith, you get baptised as an outward expression of something that has happened within you. And so I continue to ask that question. Have you been baptised? The Ethiopian, he didn't delay a single day. And why, why should he? Disciples do not delay. And yet there's great delay in obedience today within the life of the church, isn't there? No, I don't want to do that. Self, not sacrifice. Run to it. Then finally, verse 39 tells us, The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Don't you love that? The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. And so this supernatural event again finishes supernaturally. We go from the ordinary to the extraordinary. I mean, have you ever been here one minute and gone the next? How many people would like somebody around you to disappear? 
who have got those sorts of people in our lives, but you've got these people as well. Think about it for a moment. Someone who has crossed your path. God has positioned them in proximity to you at some stage in your life. They have led you to the cross. You've made a decision for Jesus Christ. They've unearthed the scriptures to you. They've demonstrated what it is to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And maybe they're not here anymore. Maybe they've gone to glory. Maybe you're not going to see them on the planet anymore. They're gone. But they leave you with a smile on your dial today as you remember them. You're rejoicing in what they have left you with. So as I wrap up this morning, don't forget to linger. Don't forget to look. Don't forget to listen to the Lord's leading. When it comes to position, where are you positioned today for the Lord? Do you need to reposition the coordinates of your own life to get in line with where God wants to direct you? When it comes to proximity, is there one person that you need to stick like glue too until they get saved and when it comes to proclamation think about those conversational starters those questions that you can not impose your faith on people but expose them to the gospel Church, we're going to continue to use technology in order to bring as many into the kingdom of heaven. But I think when it comes here to Philip and the Ethiopian and its personal evangelism, we still need to be out there doing it. Each one reach one. As the worship team comes forward.